Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, we're back. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. So our unprecedented part two of part one. Yep. Splitting up an episode. Never had to do it because never we've never do done it. such a fucking wild ride of a movie before. Such a deep dive. But... Well, and it has, it, there is so much information that is easy to find, yeah. too. Unlike, I feel like some of the other movies that we've done where I've been like, there's just nothing. Yeah. About this movie anywhere. Yeah. It just it just is. What do you want to know? Yeah, but Let's there's watch it. Yeah, so much information about this one. Um yeah. so I would say listen to part one. Yeah. Go back and listen help. to it if you haven't. Um or just watch the movie. It's probably shorter than yeah. the episode ended up being. <laughs> so whatever yep. you want to do with your time Plus is then you up to you. We'll have the visuals fresh in your brain so that yeah. you know what the fuck we're talking about. Well you get all this info. Um the movie is very hard to find to stream. It's not on anything, yeah. so good luck. Is it still in chunks on YouTube? The whole thing is on YouTube. Oh, okay. It's just low quality. Yeah. But yeah, it's not even on Disney+. Plus. Wow. Like, the sequels are, but the original isn't. That's so weird. Yeah, it's not... It, you can't even rent it on Amazon. That is super weird. The yeah, sequels, you can. It's not on the my go-to cartoon streaming it's website just either. Like, nowhere. I own it on DVD, so... Yeah. And I, after doing all this <laughs> research and everything i was like i mean i would like to own a copy of it so i i can't even find a copy of the vhs to buy yeah i feel like this whole movie is a little bit cursed yes so let's anyway, get into it let's get into it because I'm we have a lot to say we have a lot to say yeah i'm meat wedge i'm bucket sink this is part two buckle up buckle <laughs> buckle, buckle up. the fuck up i truly never thought that we would have a part two no, me neither. For a children's movie that yeah. is uh, 90 minutes long yeah. or whatever. It's insane. So let's start with um, the reception of the movie. Yeah. How do people like it? Did you look into this at all? A little bit. Did you see that there was not a theatrical release? Yes. That's so weird. Yes. I mean, not. we were both born, well, I was born in 87, you were born in 88, but yeah. um, it's not like we would have been able to see it in theater, but it is strange. Yeah. See, I I saw some sources that said there was no theatrical release at all, and no. then others that said it was super limited. There were, it, they had like a, an opening night at a theater, I think in like LA or something. Yeah. Um, it was the first animated film to be shown at Sundance. Yep. Uh, and there wasn't another one shown until 2001. Yep. Which is wild. Um, yeah. Somebody at Sundance wanted to give it award for best movie, but they were like, we can't give it to a cartoon. No one will take us seriously. This is literally all of my research. Could you back <laughs> off maybe and let me say some things? I'm sorry. <laughs> the point is just that it's hard to find the reception data that we usually find yeah. because there isn't a clear like, this is how there much it made. Box office numbers. Yeah. Right. 
But it was shown in a lot of like art house theaters and film festivals and okay. stuff. Okay. But not like a like your typical super wide audience. Yeah. Yeah. The, and they had a weird. lot of the the crew had a lot of plans. Yeah. I mean they had a plan for yeah, their whole and it got moved. Yeah. Yeah, just the whole feeling around this movie. The feeling of the movie when you're watching it and you're like, I don't you know, in, in most kids' movies you're like, I'm clearly being manipulated by the song, by the visuals, by the whatever. Right. I do not know what this movie wanted me to feel. No, I don't know. Can't figure it out. I think, honestly, once we talk about the book and the author, yeah, it is just despair. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, they nailed that. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. It does have a 77 on Rotten Tomatoes. That's true. So it has an overall favorable rating. Yeah. You know, throughout time. Yeah. And I mean, like we said last week, I mean, everybody that I know that I've talked to about it was like oh i love that movie yeah you know, I, they remember watching it as a kid they have really fond memories of it i don't know the last time they saw it but right in uh, their brains yeah uh the washington post called it a kid's film made without condescension that is true yeah it doesn't talk down to anyone nope doesn't talk really to anyone nope <laughs> who is this for i don't know and like we said in the last episode i think it won the parents choice award in 1988 yep that's fun it must have been the only movie made that year. Parents in the 80s were weird. <laughs> if we're any indication. <laughs> that explains us. <laughs> yeah. What else you got? Yeah. A couple little things. Uh, Deanna Oliver, who voiced the toaster, originally auditioned for the role of the air conditioning. Yes. Using a Betty Davis impression. Yeah. That would have um, been really strange. It would have been very strange. But then they offered her the lead role and she said, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. So Phil Hartman played the air conditioning and the hanging lamp. Right. Um, was in fact trying to emulate Jack Nicholson yeah. when he was playing the air conditioning. Which he was spot on. Did a great job. Yes. It reminded me of the first time I watched Heathers and I was like, yeah, uh, Christian Slater went to the Jack Nicholson school of acting. Clearly. Yes. And I love Christian Slater. Um, and then the hanging lamp was all Peter Lorre. Yes. He was trying to do that. Yeah. It is very acting. strange to be when I was watching that movie because I was like, I know that Jack Nicholson and Peter Lorre are not actually in this movie. Right. So, who yeah. is doing this? Oh, Phil Hart. Oh, Phil Harmon. Of fucking course. Of course. Yeah. The vacuum cleaner was driving me crazy the entire movie. I was like, I know, I know what this voice. I finally had to look it up halfway through, and it's OG Thurl Ravenscroft. Yes. Who is? Tony the Tiger. Love him. Yeah, he voices Tony <laughs> the Tiger. He sings the original You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Yep. And he's just a legend. I wish that such a good job. when Kirby had gotten to the waterfall, he had just been like, well, this is not great. <laughs> <laughs> then we all would have been like, oh. Uh, oh, okay. I get right. it. Yeah. Not really the, the mood of Kirby, though, I guess. Really, the only other sort of trivia thing that I have other than that is it's another slightly cursed thing surrounding this movie is Mm. this guy, John Lasseter, who was an animator at Disney, really wanted this to be the first CGI film that Disney put out. Yeah. And he was really, was really gunning for it. He was like, I want it to be animated in the front and just all the backgrounds to be CGI. I want, you know, computers to start coming into play a lot more. And so he and another animator um, made an made a computer animated short of where the wild things are to sort of use as their pitch here's what we should do right and then he took it like to the execs and was like see we can do it and mm-hmm. they were like it what tell us about the cost though and he was like it's literally the same as hand animating right and they were like then we don't give a shit yeah does it save money no get out yeah then what's the point and then almost immediately after literally they were like also you're fired 
because we see that you've been using our time and money and resources to make your little Where the Wild Things Are project with no green light for that. Yeah. Get the fuck out and clear your desk. So, oops. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Bit of a backfire there. I do think it's funny that you're like, this guy, John Lasseter, who is the head of Pixar. Yeah. Just some guy. (laughs) Just some dude. Some guy. So clearly he and Disney made up. They're fine. Yes. It would have been a different movie, though, for sure, if it had been computer animated, I feel. I just feel like it would have been brighter and happier, even if the story didn't change. Yeah, it would have. It would have looked just to have like John Lasseter in charge of the animation and production and stuff. I feel like it would have been brighter and happier. Yeah, in some ways. Hopefully, I would like to see his Where the Wild Things Are short. Yeah, that book is so sad though. Yes, and then the movie that they eventually made is soul crushing. I did not see it. I just cried the whole time. My soul is already very tiny and does not need any more crushing. <laughs> like one of those little bitty cubes <laughs> from Ernie's. Yep, the junkyard. Emporium. Worthless. <laughs> um, I am glad that he didn't give up and yeah. went on to. He's I like, mean, he no, knew computers are the fucking future. Yeah, and he was like, okay, you but and this was also you have to remember in the late eighties or mid eighties, um, when Disney animation was like not that great. Yeah. This was before the Renaissance. That's true. This is like, they're on the downhill. So they're like, look, if you're not trying to save us money, and if you're wasting our money, then what are you doing? Yeah. Like, we are in the throes of death here. Yeah. Like, I don't need this. Which is just bizarre. Yeah. To imagine Disney ever not being the, like, mega corporation that it is. Yeah. Because the the, the true, like, Renaissance came back with The Little Mermaid, which was in 89. Right. And this pitch was probably in 85 or something. Yeah. Yeah. So on the sa- in the same vein, as opposed to other films of the time, The Brave Little Toaster was able to include dark, scary, edgy, or risque content mm-hmm. because it was an independent feature. Okay. So like Disney bought the rights to it. Yeah. Gave the money to the studio, to Hyperion, I think, mm-hmm. and then just let them do it. Yeah. Like they were like, we'll do like distribution and stuff, but like we only have five million dollars, so good luck. Right. Um, and since they were so independent, they got <laughs> to make this fucking wild movie. So again, this happened with another movie. It was made and then Disney bought it. Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Santa Claus. So they were able to break some rules that Disney probably wouldn't have let them get away right. with otherwise. That makes sense for why it doesn't feel like a Disney movie. Right. Because I mean, yeah. it doesn't have that, like... It does. No. Um, It's just... Dark yeah, and scary the whole time. They were able to explore the wouldn't it be fun if places that Disney wouldn't allow. Yeah, I guess. They rejected fun. the false dichotomy of being joke driven or overly sincere uh-huh. and instead incorporated both elements yes. as that is how real conversations work. I guess. Yeah, there's a... Like <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> like I said, I read through um, an AMA with director Jerry Reese and somebody asked you know, why did you make this movie so dark? It's for children. Why would you? And he just said, I figured that these characters, as charming as they were, were dealing with an ominous world. Their fear of being obsolete rings true for all of us at one time or another as well. I asked our voice actors to keep the characters believing their world, never playing it for laughs. Yeah. And they sure didn't. Well, and he, I feel like he carried that through too in the way that he made the whole movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Because with the soundtrack, too, he hired someone who had never done animation. Mm -hmm. He didn't want cartoony music. The other guy who wrote, like, the more, like, musical Broadway-esque songs was the same way. He worked with, like, the Beach Boys before this. Yeah. Like, none of these people... 
that worked on this movie are like cartoon people right you know and it really comes across it shows yeah i mean (laughs) this is a kid's movie in that it's a cartoon and that is it yeah there's no other there's no like childlike elements if this movie were made with humans Mm -hmm. it would be pg-13 at least yeah (laughs) at the very least but since it's a cartoon in the 80s yeah everyone's like ah it's fine it's I for guess. kids. It's, it's for kids. Hey, it's for, it's kids. for kids. Yeah, I mean, there's there aren't there are barely any jokes, and the jokes that are in there are pretty kind of mean. They're mean, and they're also like at the expense of another appliance for sure. Um, but they're also punny, which is yeah. you know aiming a little bit higher than you know you have to have a pretty good grasp on yeah the language to understand. That's true. That's a good point. So yeah, yeah, and I'm I think I mentioned in the uh, previous episode that. The original script for the movie is 110 minutes long, Uh which is almost two hours. That would be so long for an animated movie. I know. Like, what other tragedies befell these appliances that didn't make the cut? Yeah, but they they ended up taking out 20 minutes, so it would be an hour and a half. That's crazy. We're back could never. (laughs) (laughs) We're back. 64 minute movie. Should (laughs) have. But could not. No. Yeah. Let's see. I have some other good quotes from him. We already talked about this a little bit, but to get the actual quote from Jerry Reese, someone said, you know, how does it make you feel that this movie really had no release and now has this big old cult following basically right. but I, I just like what he says we screened toaster at the sundance film festival in 88 several judges told me that behind closed doors it had been considered the best film that year but they were afraid that no one would take the festival seriously if they awarded top prize to a cartoon but they wanted me to know how much it was secretly admired i said thanks i guess <laughs> fair right yeah great all these people are like we really loved it uh we're not gonna tell anybody that we liked it yeah because it's a cartoon mm-hmm. thank I mean, you it could have been you know breaking some ground there and, may- and maybe disney would have given it a theatrical release if it had done well at sundance yeah you know possibly i mean it, it came out in what july of 87 is mm-hmm. when the release was and then they didn't yeah it would have been kind of weird to be like a full year later we're giving this a theatrical release that if actually happens a lot i think yeah yeah because a lot of studios will like kind of test it out for a while and see because it's expensive to do a full theatrical release yeah so they got to see that's true if it'll be worth it first now disney can just be like oh flop (laughs) yeah (laughs) who cares yeah i guess let's make another star war in the time especially it was just like we can't really afford but yeah if they could have slapped that like sundance film festival winning fuck you sundance that's all i have to say but also i don't know if i even like this movie so yeah and probably (laughs) a bunch of people at disney watched it and went no yeah it's not for kids listen if anybody knows what's for kids (laughs) it's us it's us we just released great mouse detective not for kids no yeah we know what we're doing we can't do it twice yeah we're gonna put out black cauldron that's gonna be a huge hit everyone for kids we don't have time Yeah, Black Cauldron, not for kids either. God, the 80s. I haven't even seen it, but it keeps being referenced in everything that we read about, like, Mm -hmm. animation and Disney and stuff, and, like, how dark and sad and terrible it was. Yeah, I really want to watch it. I've seen it once, and all I remember is how dark and sad it was. Yeah. So, what else do I have from him? Okay, I have two more. Yeah. Two more quotes. Tell me more. One of the people said that junkyards still freak them out to this day because of that scene. Fair. This is just where I was like, Jerry Reese, you a little weird, aren't you? (laughs) He said, I had that whole connection with inanimate objects as characters while we were making the film. I was walking through a back alley to get to a restaurant and came across a broken TV that was tossed out. I felt sorry, so sorry for it. 
wondered how it felt, how long it had faithfully given entertainment to its owner. God, shut up. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? But this is this is the last thing that I have from him, and it's, it's pretty long. I'm going to read the whole thing because... Because I'm, we have a whole ass episode to talk about episode. this shit. Go for it. Oh, no, wait, I have two more. Somebody <laughs> asked him which character he relates to the most, and he said, I certainly feel like I go through emotional phases to match all the characters, but I guess I'd relate most closely to the toaster. There's often quite a lot of chaos around me, and I attempt to calm everyone down and focus them on the path forward. Toasterish, I suppose. When Deanna Oliver was recording the voice of the toaster, I remember a very cool moment. We'd been recording as an ensemble group so there could be good interaction and improvisation, but then I was done with her lines for the day and let her go. About a half hour later, I looked through the glass into the recording booth and saw Deanna sitting there looking out at the rest of us. I asked her why she was still here. Why hadn't she gone home? And she said that she just sort of felt responsible for the group and wanted to make sure everything went okay. Then she thought about it and said, Geez, I'm turning into the toaster. I loved that moment. Still remember it vividly. Like, <laughs> what? I think oh everybody God. who worked on this movie was insane. That guy is not fun at parties. No, I did not get the, impre- the impression that he is. Yeah, and that woman's a control freak. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. I have to make sure everyone's doing a good I job. I just gotta make sure that they're doing it. You auditioned for the role of the air conditioning. All right, sit down. <laughs> okay, sit down. <laughs> Deanna. Um, Attach yourself to a wall somewhere. <laughs> but <sighs> the thing that got me the most that I was just like, what mm-hmm. are you talking about? Yes. Is he explains the scene with the flower. Oh, I got so much about the scene with the flower. Yeah. Well, this is straight from Jerry Reese's mouth. Okay, tell me. This is what he says about it. I'm excited. Okay, the flower. Here's the way it went. There's the night in the thicket. Poor Blanky gets full of stickers and everyone is just cranky. Arguments all around and the radio drawing his own zone of privacy in the dirt that no one shall cross. Hmm. And Blanky is feeling like the insecurity blanket even more than usual. He crawls to Lampy, seeking snuggles, but Lampy calls him a fuzzball and tells him to get his own place to sleep. Blanky finally tries to snuggle with Toaster, but even the long-suffering, warm Toaster is in no mood to cuddle with Blanky and pushes him away. Blanky is left all alone, vulnerable and unprotected. Next day in the meadow, there is uh-huh. mayhem, but amidst the mayhem is the flower. The flower is painted exactly the same yellow as Blanky, by the way. Like oh Blanky, God. it tries to snuggle with Toaster. The difference being that it sees its own reflection and falls in love with the other flower. There is no way Toaster can possibly help the flower. After trying to reason with it, then pushing it away, Toaster retreats, then peers back to see the vulnerable, lonely flower wilt. Toaster is at a loss. There was no way to help. The very next moment, Toaster sees Blanky being pulled down a hole by a bunch of mice. Immediately, Toaster jumps to protect the vulnerable Blanky. Last night, Toaster had pushed him away, but now Toaster comes to the rescue, protecting it. When Lampy teases Blanky, Toaster steps up to protect him again. Blanky returns the kindness by making himself into a tent for the group to use as a shelter. Later, Lampy has noticed that Toaster is being nice to Blanky and asks why. Toaster does her best to explain, but underneath it all, seeing the vulnerable little yellow flower wilt when she shoved it away has made her feel like never shoving vulnerable little Blanky away again. To keep Blanky safe. To keep Blanky from wilting. In the case of the flower, there was no way to help. In the case of the blanket, there is. This use of two vulnerable characters being painted the identical color, both seeking cuddles, both being pushed away, one wilting emotionally, one wilting literally, was an emotional path of change for the toaster. Oh my god. <laughs> what? Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure, dude. Yep. That's what so, this children's movie is about. Yes. Bro. 
<laughs> that's not even what the book is about. You just put so much into this. Yeah. Yeah. They're the same color. It's important. Symbolism. Symbolism. <laughs> I fucking hate love this guy. Yeah. He's, uh, I, he's this is, it is making me feel even worse though about like how much thought and effort was put into this movie. Yeah. To not get a theatrical release must have truly been really crushing. Yeah. I mean, like he, it does make me feel bad. He was really bummed about it. You know, everybody, the whole, the whole cast really did put a lot of work into it and a, a lot of heart into it. It seems like. Yeah. Um, I think maybe they could have directed a different audience might have helped. You mean, oh, instead of it being like a kid's movie? if they had not marketed it for, I don't know. When it was, um, once it was, they, the theaters that they did show it in, like the art house theaters and Mm -hmm. stuff, were aimed at like teens and young adults. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which makes more sense. Yeah. But that's also like, that is a weird market to try and sell to also. That's true. I I feel like, especially in the 80s, it was like, this is a children's movie or this is an adult movie. There isn't like a... And for cartoons to be, like, not for kids. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, and a 15-year-old isn't gonna be... It's gonna be too cool, quote-unquote, to, like, watch a cartoon. Yeah, that's true. Thank you for reading that entire quote. I was very interested to hear all of that. Um, Yeah, the last thing that I have is that in 2010... There were talks of a live-action CGI remake. Yeah, I think I saw a little bit about that. There was still going to be a toaster, but there was also going to be a smartphone. Oh. And then a couple other appliances. So same story, but yeah, live-action CGI. And, like, Jerry Reese was very excited for that and wanted... Yeah. He, you know, he was in talks to, like, be a part of it. Well, thankfully, Thomas Dish was dead by then. Pushed him out, (laughs) and then now it's, you know, it's been ten years. Yeah. And it's not happening, hopefully. (laughs) leave it just leave it leave it where it's supposed to be yeah you know it is strange that we keep referring to it as a cult classic too which i guess like it does fit the definition because it didn't have the wide release and it didn't yeah you know meet the criteria of like a big movie but everyone knows this movie right everyone knows this movie more than like we're back yeah you know like i have people have been like oh you know what movies have you all covered and i always mention we're back and like no one remembers it right that got a theatrical release yeah the page master got a theatrical release a lot of people don't remember that one either right you know it's just like and rockadoodle mm-hmm. yeah nobody remembers that one i've had to yeah. explain the plot of that movie so many times like it's just very strange that like this one yeah in people's memories is way more in there <laughs> yeah i think just because it made them feel so many things yeah i mean it was still technically a disney movie so yes. you know it got the at least the disney distribution as far as vhs and all that yeah and it was on tv a lot I think, yeah at the time it yeah. was um marketed they used it too as like a subscription carrot they called it yeah because that was back when you had to pay you know well i mean you still have to pay for cable but nobody does but you know to buy the package that had the disney channel they were like we've got the brave little toaster yeah so you know it did get that at least yeah traumatize your children right how long would this have been though if it had commercials oh my god so long so long three hour feature film i have a bunch of things about the soundtrack because i don't know if you've (laughs) heard me mention (laughs) how much i've been listening to it yes this is the first movie that we've done where i've just been like even the background music not the musical numbers but like the you know just the shit in the background yeah i was just like this is good like i really like it yeah it was composed and conducted by david newman and it was performed by the new japan philharmonic 
Oh, yeah. Reese admired his rich classical style and chose him so that the film wouldn't have cartoon music, which, I yeah. mean, it doesn't. It does not. <laughs> it just, it feels like they were trying so hard to not make it a kid's movie. Yeah, because it's not. <laughs> the story isn't at no. all. Um, it's just like ev- at every turn, they yeah. were just like, no jokes. Yes. No cartoony music. Right. It's like, all right, man. Yeah. We got um, it. It's really interesting, too, because I was reading about how David Newman, like, this was his first feature-length film. Mm -hmm. He had never worked on anything this long before. Mm -hmm. Um, His first credit, actually, is Frankenweenie, the Tim Burton movie. Yeah. That just also didn't get a release until, I think, recently, actually. But he said that now that he's gone on to do a whole bunch of stuff, Mm -hmm. it was very unconventional the way that he was just given the script and told to write music for it Mm -hmm. and jerry reese like didn't even put in any like opinions or editing or anything until they were like they're recording it he didn't work with him through his writing he just trusted him to do it yeah and he said he had very few edits once they like got to the recording stage and that was it and he was like that it is unheard of for that to happen yeah for the director to just like allow so much freedom in that part of the process yeah i mean you run the risk of <laughs> just getting, getting a soundtrack really is, wild yeah it has <laughs> yeah. nothing to do it doesn't fit the mood so i thought this was really cool too and probably why i felt like the music was so memorable as the characters are introduced the score becomes more lively and each character has their own theme yeah so kirby is a grumpy old vacuum and so Newman gives, like, a lot of low chords when he is, like, on the screen. Okay. Radio has brassy fanfare to reflect his self-important personality. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, they each have their own, like, blankies really soft. Yeah. You know, and, like, lamp is bright and all these things. And I don't know. I just thought that was cool because, like, even when there are other, like, like there's a song mm-hmm. for this part of the movie. Right. But when this character is on screen or is, you know, doing something, like, those tones are always, like, woven into yeah. the overall song. Yeah. Which I just, I don't know. I just thought that was a really cool way to, like, carry it through. You can just listen to the soundtrack and be like, oh, I know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's really cool and creative. Also, the sound effects from the whole movie mm-hmm. are not from a library. Like a sound effect library. Yeah. They were all created with various real world objects. Oh, fun. From like antique stores. I mean, that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. Rather than, you know, just going into the memory banks and uh-huh. using a pre-recorded whatever. They yeah. made them all. That's awesome. Yeah. Which made it sound more real, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, and like I said before, the guy that wrote the like Broadway musical things had never done an animated movie either. He had worked with the Beach Boys previously. Yeah. He did a lot of like, I don't want to say quote-unquote actual music but you know what i mean charles manson hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. No. Oh, <laughs> different guy. Okay. Close. But he also, like, worked really well with David Newman, and, like, he wrote all the songs, and then David Newman, like, wrote orchestral composition for the background of each of the songs. Mm -hmm. Reese wanted it to really be more, like, a Broadway musical type, rather than, like, a Disney musical. Yeah. Where all the characters, like, stop and sing a song. He wanted it to be, like, feel more naturally placed, the songs, which I guess is why there's only four, and they do feel kind of random. Yeah. Because it's supposed to just be, like, just in a point where the story is moving forward, mm-hmm. rather than just stopping just to have the point of a song. Yeah. Like, the the point of this part of the movie is just to sing a song. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like I said, that was his first feature-length film, but he went on to do lots of stuff, and I wrote down all the ones that I like. He did the Bill and Ted movies. Nice. He did the Mighty Ducks. He did the Sandlot. He did Coneheads. He did Tommy Boy. Okay. He did Matilda. Ooh. Galaxy Quest, uh-huh. Ice Age, Scooby Doo, Serenity. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> He's done so many movies. Yeah, and yeah. such a wide range of like mm-hmm. types of yeah different cool. genres and stuff. Yeah. yeah, so that's my little small rant about uh, the soundtrack. Excellent. So should we talk about the book? Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> honestly what we've been building towards. I think this whole time, I want to know everything. I'm here to be educated. <laughs> I wish this was a beer. I'm ready. I have so much to say. (laughs) All right. So when the movie starts, it Uh says, based on the novella by Thomas Dish. Right. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. This was a book first. I'm going to look it up. And that's where we lost you. (laughs) That's where it all (laughs) fell apart. But it is free to read on Open Library. Okay. So anybody can read it. Y'all can all go read it. It's only 80 pages long. It only took me like an hour and a half to read because mm-hmm. I was also taking notes and pictures there there are pictures in it and I just kept taking pictures of the pictures because they're disturbing yeah we'll have to include some in the show notes for sure the author photo in the back of the book is very funny because it's Thomas Dish's face reflected in his own toaster that he has had oh, for 15 years God, of course yes. <laughs> yeah so I I read the whole book so that you don't have to uh <laughs> More self-sacrifice. So the tagline for the book is a bedtime story for small appliances. Aww. Yeah, which is very cute. It is kind of long for a bedtime story. It would take you a few days probably. But yeah. It's set in 1976. Here is a fun little thing where they're talking about in the book when they're figuring out the battery so that they can like leave the cabin. Uh-huh. But before any of the small appliances who may be listening to this tale should begin to think that they might do the same thing, let them be warned. Electricity is very dangerous. Never play with old batteries. Never put your plug into a strange socket. And if you are in any doubt about the voltage of the current where you are living, ask a major appliance. Oh my god. (laughs) That's amazing. Isn't that cute? I think maybe that this whole movie was just directed towards appliances. Yeah, I think it's it's actually for people at all. For appliances. Yeah. Yeah. This was never meant for humans. I'm gonna put it on while I'm gone. So that my appliances know to clean the house. Oh, then maybe that'll work. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, do you see what would make me happy? <laughs> Get Vacuum it? something. Be useful. God. The book also says the same thing that the movie kind of gets across is that a human looking at, a, at an appliance will render it immobilized. Okay. It's kind of, they come out and say that in the book. Okay. Yeah. That it's, it's not up to them. It's, they can move around as long as they are not being perceived. Yes. 
But at when it's not even if they know a human is looking at them. It's like right, the human gaze yes. renders them immobile no matter what they're doing. Yeah. And then this little quote that I wrote down is from the part before they get to the meadow. Okay. So they've all. It's like before they go to bed the night before they go to the meadow okay the the plot of the book and the movie are very similar there are some differences that i'll talk about but like it really does move along at the same pace Uh anyway i'm just gonna read the quote okay the afternoon was wearing on and the toaster had begun to feel as all of us do at times a definite need for solitude much as it liked its fellow appliances it wasn't used to spending the entire day socializing it longed to be off by itself a moment to be private and think its own thoughts So, without saying anything to the others, it made its way to the farthest corner of the meadow and began to toast an imaginary muffin. This was always the best way to unwind when things got to be too much for it. Oh my god. So I think that kind of speaks to, like, why the appliances don't get along, especially in the beginning. Yeah. Like, they're not used to spending time together in the book. In the book, yeah. Yeah. In the movie, though, I mean... In the movie, they are obviously interacting all the time, but in the book, they really don't. Yeah. And the toaster is like, y'all get on my nerves. Right? I'm going to go toast a muffin. <laughs> I'm going to go think about toasting a muffin. So I think you said this before, but it says how much time has passed actually in the mm-hmm. book between when the, they last saw this kid. And it's been two years? Two years, 11 months, and some number of days. Okay. Almost three years. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, they probably would have been hanging out together a little bit more, but I guess not to the extent of... Yeah, they're not cleaning the house every day in the I, book. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. just going to ask that. Do they have the same, same motivation of no. he'll be back soon? Okay interesting yeah so then the part with the flower Mm -hmm. which in the movie is so strange in the book is very strange also yes it makes a little more sense in the book because uh thomas dish was also a poet okay and was always winding his own poetry into his books sure and so in this part where the flower like falls in love with the toaster because you know it sees its reflection and Mm -hmm. blah 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 the flower can only speak in rhyme sure and i didn't copy paste it but the book mentions that all flowers speak in poetry and because this is a daisy it only can speak in really simple rhyming poetry all right but like i can see that prettier more complicated flowers speaking like soliloquies sure you know blah 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 (laughs) anyway here's a poem from flower to toaster okay Charming flower, tell me do, what genera and species you belong to, as I may be seen at once am just a daisy green, of leaf and white of petal, and you are neither green nor white nor blue, nor any color I have known. In what Eden have you grown? Sprang you from earth or sky above? In either case, accept my love. Aww. (laughs) Flower's like, I don't know what the fuck you are, but let's fuck. But I like it. Yeah. The toaster in the book also was like, no. I'm leaving. I gotta, I got things to do. You are very <sighs> stationary. Yeah. Um, in the in the book, the flower is like, just take me with you. Look, uproot me. I will die, but put me in your slot and just take me with you. God. So that I can be a part of you while I'm dying. Jesus. Yeah. Unnecessary. <laughs> I don't think it's a metaphor flowers? for the blanket in the book. <laughs> it's just fucking weird. Yeah. I don't know. Um, that's so strange. So then, um, there isn't really like the same sort of like lively meadow scene mm-hmm. that there is in the movie as in the book, but they come across some squirrels. Okay. They are husband and wife squirrels. They are obsessed with figuring out the gender of these appliances. Okay. They keep bringing it up. Yeah. They show up, they're having the weird conversation and the squirrel's like, tell us a joke. Okay. And 
the radio, being irreverent, tells a joke about Polish people <laughs> and how stupid they are and how they can't uh, change a light bulb. Yeah, absolutely. And the squirrels are both like, okay, but which ones are the boys and which ones are the girls? Of what? In the story with the Polish people. Oh. Yeah, like, they're just obsessed with finding out who's a boy and who's a girl. Okay. So they they can't get the joke. Yeah. And the appliances are like, what? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, We've never thought about it before. Yeah, and then the squirrels tell a bunch of really dirty jokes and the appliances don't get it yeah because they don't know about sex and gender and right all of these things oh my god <laughs> so they can't really communicate because yeah they don't have i don't it's very strange um but i do love the sentence gender and the complications it gives rise to simply aren't relevant to the lives appliances lead <laughs> that's true yeah that all the appliances are like i don't uh, i don't know but Toaster does offer to toast acorns for them. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah, and being able to, like, be useful for that minute makes it feel really good. So uh-huh. it, like, toasts a whole bunch of acorns until they're like, okay, we have to go. <laughs> yeah, that's and they, cute. Yeah, and they finally leave. But they're all, like, the squirrels, they're like, Blanky, you can stay and, you know, you can live in our nest and you can keep us warm and Toaster, you can toast stuff for it. You know, like, they're trying to give them a motivation to stay yeah um and have jobs but they're all like no we must go find the master but that also the storm and blanky being blown away happens in the book too Mm -hmm. later that night but the way that they get blanky out of the tree is the squirrels just go get him oh okay yeah they're just like oh yeah we'll just go grab that blanket for you yeah because they already made friends yeah (laughs) that makes so much more sense rather than yeah the whatever the hell the vacuum cleaner cleaner is doing (laughs) yeah and then in the movie, they kind of split up what happens next. So they get to water, and they don't know how to cross it. Right. It's not like a big waterfall. It's just like a creek or something. Yeah. Um, but there's a boat. Okay. And they're like, okay, we'll just put all of ourselves in the boat, and then we'll just like go across this mm-hmm. water and get out on the other side. Mm-hmm. And they have this really prolonged discussion about, like, is this stealing if we use this boat? Because there's nothing worse than someone who steals an appliance to them. Right. There's nothing worse than pirates who come and, like, steal your appliance and then use it because that appliance has a loyalty to its original master. Yeah. But if it's stolen, it has to work for this other person. Yeah. And it just, like, really tears their little souls up. Oh, no. So they're like, if we steal this boat, because it has a motor. It's like a motorboat. Okay. Like, if we steal this boat, is this, like, are we pirates? Yeah. Are we bad? Yeah. So while they're having this discussion... A man comes up and just takes them all. Oh. Who works at a junkyard. Oh, no. So he's a, he's being a pirate. Yes. He comes and steals them. Yes. And then the scene where they all decide to, like, leave. It's very, it's, like, a lot less dramatic than, like, being pulled apart and stuff. They're all just like, we don't want to, like, this guy to be our new master. Yeah. Or for him to sell us to someone else through the junkyard. We, we need to get out of here. Right. So they kind of do the same thing with, like, pretending to be a ghost but they figure out how to do it without like moving around like Mm -hmm. they do in the movie but while they're like making this plan they have this really funny conversation what are ghosts demanded the hoover ghosts are people who are dead only they're also sort of alive don't be silly said the lamp either they are dead or they aren't yes the blanket agreed it's as simple as on and off if you're on you can't be off and vice versa i know that and you know that but people don't seem to People say they know that ghosts don't exist, but they're afraid of them anyhow. No one can be afraid of something that doesn't exist, the Hoover huffed. Don't ask me how they do it, said the toaster. (laughs) (laughs) 
So then they decide to, they do pretty much the same thing with, like, the vacuum cleaner and Blankie and the toaster and the reflection, and then they get out of there. Yeah. So then they get to the city and find the master. They do the same thing. They, like, look him up in the phone book and go to his apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the appliances at his apartment are actually very welcoming. Okay. And he's not home. They just show up and they're talking to these appliances. And it's, <laughs> I love this ending. It's, like, less dramatic you know for movie form and it's like less for children i guess yeah but they show up and you know they're all like why hasn't he been to the cabin like where has he been and they're all like oh he got married okay and the missus is allergic to the woods like she just has like hay fever and all this stuff so they got this other cabin yeah on the ocean or whatever so he's gonna sell that cabin and then you know blah 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 and they're like oh well then you know what should we do yeah we need to be useful and, you know, we love the master. So they decide there's there's this uh, loophole in the rules about talking to humans uh-huh. is that if you're using another appliance to do it, it's fine. Okay. So using a telephone is okay because the telephone is an appliance. So you're talking to the telephone. Right. So they can use phones. Okay. Essentially. Yeah. So they call a dry cleaner to come and pick up Blinky. Okay. And they take Blanky to the dry cleaner. Yeah. And the sewing machine sews up all the holes in Blanky, so uh-huh. he's good as new. Great. Yeah. And they find this radio program called uh, the Swap Meet or something like that. Uh-huh. So you can, like, put an ad on there that's like, I would like to trade these items for these items if anybody out there yeah. wants to do that. So they put an ad on the show that's like, I have a radio, a toaster, a lamp, a vacuum cleaner, and a blanket, an electric blanket. Uh-huh. And we want someone to come get them that has real need for them. Yeah. Because they're still very good appliances. Yeah. And very useful. Aww. So it ends up that like this old ballerina who lives on the edge of the city uh-huh. comes and gets all of these items and takes them home. And they're all useful again. Yeah. They have a new master, but it's someone who like genuinely like uses right, the like vacuum every day sleeps and... with the electric blanket every night yeah and yeah they don't get like torn apart right like they don't get separated yeah they all stay together and that's they all so have a, a new use that's adorable yes are they better friends in the book they i think friendship is maybe like strong word because again sure. their appliances they're right. a bit less anthropomorphic in the book than they are in the movie okay but they all want to be useful. Yeah. Is their main motivation. Right. You know, and, and do they want to, it sounds like they want to stay together. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do work together better. Okay. Yeah. They are, they let, they argue less. <laughs> There's so There's much less fighting. fighting. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. That was a long explanation, but it's, it's such a good book. Like, so the major differences are the squirrel characters, mm-hmm. the junkyard man, and that the master has gotten married, not that he's going off to college. Yeah. And he's an adult the whole time. They're not, like, chasing after this kid. Okay. Um, He's been an adult. He just, like, stopped coming to the cabin because yeah. he met someone. Yeah, who couldn't go. Yeah. I still think you would go get your stuff. Yeah, I think that he does intend to. Yeah, he just doesn't get around But to would it. probably, like, sell it, maybe. You know? Yeah. Oh, there is a really funny scene when they're in his apartment and they're all like catching up and talking and all that and the new mm-hmm. toaster comes in yeah and is kind of like embarrassed and feels bad so he Aww. just like goes back in the kitchen oh, and doesn't no. say anything <laughs> <laughs> it's just so strange it's such a strange concept yeah, it sounds like this guy was very attached to his own appliances he was in real life <laughs> it and seems- was like what if? Yeah. I mean, same thing like Jerry Reese said. He's like, you know, I just got really attached to this idea that they have feelings and 
Yeah. And you throw them out. They're sad about it. It's like, cool, thanks. But it doesn't. making me feel bad about yeah. throwing away my stuff. In the book, though, it's less. It's more like an appliance wants to be useful. They just, yeah. Yeah. Want to have a use. Okay. Wait, tell me more about this man, though, because I know that <laughs> I know. you have a lot of. Well, when I read, then when I read the book, I was like, who the fuck? Yeah, he wrote a lot of sci-fi stuff, yes, right? Yes, he did. But he was more of like, um, and I'm, I ordered some of his books just because the reviews of this shit are wild. Yeah, um, he was more of like a writer's writer, like he didn't really write to a wide audience. Okay, this one review I think really sums up why the Brave Little Toaster is the way it is. Okay. Dish upended the conventions of fantasy and science fiction by creating narratives that stubbornly refused to proceed in the proper directions. <laughs> and apparently all of his writing is like that. Like, he hated the trope of, like, this is the hero, this yeah. is wish fulfillment. Yeah. You know, that sort of, like, good versus evil, good always wins sort of thing. Like, right. The, the, I think that's why this movie, it's so hard to find, like, a is this a happy ending? Is What is the point of yeah, this? Am I supposed to learn something? I, yeah. Who is the hero? Because he doesn't like any of those tropes in his own writing. Yeah, it's just, like, it things just happen. Yeah, things just are. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, which is, like, not satisfying, I guess, in the way that we're used to stories being told. Right. But anyway, let me tell you a little bit about Thomas Dish. Please do. All right. So... Thomas Dish, uh, he grew up in Iowa, and here's a really fun fact. Okay. He was taken out of school because of the polio epidemic. Oh, no. He didn't get polio. No, but he was trying to avoid getting polio with he, his parents. Were. And he did avoid it. Excellent. But it just feels very... Uh, relevant? Relevant. That's the word. It feels very relevant yeah. to now. Mm-hmm. So when was he born? 1940. Okay. So at the age of 18, a penniless, friendless teenager... Oh. He attempted suicide by gas oven, but survived. Well, that's good. Later that year, he enlisted in the army, Mm -hmm. but his incompatibility with the armed forces quickly resulted in a nearly three-month commitment to a mental hospital. Did he make best friends with his gun? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Some appliance. feels like... Yeah. He could have written Full Metal Jacket, (laughs) probably. But he kind of... He really spent his younger years... Just, like, working a bunch of, like, odd jobs that mm. just kind of got him through and paid the bills. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until he moved to London in the 60s and he joined the new wave of the science fiction movement there. Cool. Yeah. He's such a... Ugh, like, I think there's so much death in The Brave Little Toaster because he was always thinking about death. Mm-hmm. Like, he had a lot of suicide attempts. In all of his writing, there is a lot of, like, references to suicide. Yeah. And he himself always said that that was, like, the only honorable way to go out. Like, to... I don't know if he used the word honorable, but, like, the way that made sense to him. Interesting. Like, that was... You should have control of that in sort of a way. Like... Okay. I mentioned earlier that somebody called The Brave Little Toaster uh, children's version of Blade Runner, Mm -hmm. which was based on Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Uh Philip K. Dick. Yes. Though Dish was an admirer of and friends with the author Philip K. Dick, Dick would write an infamous paranoid letter to the FBI in October 1972 that denounced Dish and suggested that there were coded messages prompted by a covert organization in one of Dish's novels. Oh no! (laughs) In his final novel, however, The Word of God, Dish got his revenge on Dick with a story in which Dick is dead and living in hell, unable to write because of writer's block. 
In return for a taste of human blood, which will unlock his ability to write, he makes a deal to go back in time and kill Dish's father so that Dish will never be born, and at the same time, to kill Thomas Mann, thereby ensuring that Hitler wins World War II. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) You know what they say. Hell hath no fury like a sci-fi writer scorned. What the fuck? so much. It is. Um... I'm just going to read the literal Amazon description of the word of God, okay? which is the last book that was released that he wrote before he died, which I think gives it more gravity, I guess. The literal Amazon description, when you go to the page to decide if you want to order the book, Uh not a review. Yeah. Description. Right. In early 2005, wearying of the world's religious schisms, doctrinal heresies, and manifold editorial sins, Thomas M. Dish took matters into his own hands and became the deity. As controversial as it is incontrovertible, the moving true story of his awful transformation and its awesome aftermath reveals, at long last, the hidden web that links Dish, Philip K. Dick, Westernware, the Leamington Hotel, and eternity itself. Read it in fear and in trembling, but read it, or else. <laughs> In all caps, you will laugh, you will cry, you will pray. What? (laughs) The man who wrote The Brave Little Toaster, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, man. Yeah. Also, interestingly, (laughs) uh, Dish uh, was a gay man. Mm -hmm. He had been out since 1968. He lived with his partner of 30 years um, in New York City. And a lot of his poetry was more like focused on, you know, life as a gay man. Um, but he didn't consider himself a gay author, more of like an author who happened to be gay. Sure. But in 2005, yeah, um, the apartment below him caught on fire. Okay. Which caught his sure house on fire. Then his partner of more than 30 years died. Oh, no. Then his home uh, right outside of New York City was flooded. And the mold issues were so bad that the house had to be condemned. Oh. And then finally, once he returned to the apartment, he um, was evicted oh. because it was a rent-controlled apartment in New York City, but it was in his partner's name. Oh, no. And so once he died, yeah, he didn't have any like rights to it. Right. So he got kicked out. And he also had diabetes and sciatica. So his friend in his one of his obituaries said he was simply ground down by the sequence of catastrophes yeah not having a good time yeah so he did commit suicide in 2008 when he was 68 woof which i feel like every obituary that i read about him like from his friends was like this was gonna happen yeah like this it's like suicide is sad but like this uh, this wasn't a surprise right he was just like okay i'm done with him i mean with how much he talked about it and how many times it seems like he had attempted at least once. Yeah. But probably more than... Yeah. And yeah, if anybody's gonna, it'll be this guy who's like, you should be in charge of when you die. Also, yes. all this shit just happened to me and I'm... I'm done. I'm done dealing with yeah. it, actually. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. I'm out. And this description of his work, I feel, is the true genre for the Brave Little Toaster. We can end on this. It's all hyphenated as one word. Okay. Tragical, comical, futuristical, historical, horrifical, satirical. Woo! <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what the Brave Little Toaster is. Yes. That's, that's what category it fits in. Yeah, it's, there's a section at Blockbuster with that on the little card, and yes. there's one movie, one movie, one copy of the Brave Little Toaster <laughs> that you have to get on a list to watch, because yes. everybody wants to see it. Ugh, sorry. I just really needed to unload all of that. Yeah. 
so much that was incredible in my brain but i do feel like i don't know just knowing his history yeah and everything that he went through just like makes the brave little toaster make more sense yeah because it is so like i don't know like utilitarian and like stoic yeah. almost yes and like there's no like good and bad there's no villain yeah there's no one yeah like main bad guy that they keep running into or that they have to thwart or something like that yeah. i mean yeah knowing that i would say that jerry reese and you know the writers did a pretty good job of conveying that message of just like this is just life yeah you know they're just they're doing their best but they're just little appliances in a very big very scary world they need a major appliance and bad things happen <laughs> yeah that's so much this is truly like a a 20 foot deep puddle of a movie where you're like yeah it's just a little it's a fun little kids movie about a toaster toaster. and some appliances that go to find and then you look into it and you're like i'm drowning the abyss (laughs) help (laughs) they're killing me (laughs) god oh boy tragedy after tragedy much like thomas dish's life (laughs) yeah when did the book come out early 80s like 82 i think yeah so he hadn't even Hadn't even gone been through that many tragedies yet. At all, he yet. didn't even know it was coming. Yeah. Oh man. Well, R.I.P. Thomas Dish. Yeah, R.I.P. Dude. Yeah, I hope you're not in hell with Philip K. Dick. <laughs> yeah. I just the irony of somebody calling it like Blade Runner for kids. Yeah. Knowing their history is just really funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Philip K. Dick's like, Ooh, how dare you, <laughs> Blade Runner. <laughs> Get over here and say that to my face. No, he's in hell like, Blade Runner was for kids, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Of the two of them, Blade Runner is for children. Yeah. My throat hurts. I'm tired of talking. Yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Um, Thank you guys for listening so much. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. Uh, Hopefully you made it to this point. If you didn't, I don't blame you. I don't even care. I just needed into the void with this information. It's incredibly interesting. So it's all gone. Yeah, this is yours now. You deal with it. Bring it up at your next family gathering. <laughs> Everything yeah. that you've learned here. Start yelling about anthropomorphic toasters and <laughs> see how everyone does. Yeah, and you know maybe maybe thank your appliances every now and again. Just appreciate them. <sighs> yeah, they do a lot for you. They do. <laughs> That's the lesson. <laughs> That's the lesson. Say thanks to your toaster. Anyway, I need send a, us a message about literally anything. I need an alcoholic beverage. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can email us at replayrewindpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Tumblr at replayrewindpodcast. You can listen to us. I don't have a voice. Done. I can't. <laughs> That's all right. I can, I'll do this part. <laughs> uh, you can listen to us on Stitcher or Google Podcasts or Spotify. And... That's about it. If you have any suggestions for movies that you think we should do, feel free to let us know and we will uh, subsequently ignore them. No, I'm just kidding. We'll just tell you it's already on the list. Yeah. (laughs) Because it probably is. It probably is. But that doesn't mean we haven't forgotten something. Uh, That's about it. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Reduce. Reuse. Recycle. Replay. Rewind. re
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah. 